Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we want you to get comfy, grab some cocoa, and all the fixings for s'mores, as I tell you some of my favorite creepy pastas. Warning that these stories are indeed creepy. There will be mentions of suicide and struggles with mental health and isolation. They aren't for the faint of heart. And as a heads up, the last story I tell does have sound effects included. So snuggle up and let's get ready for another Human Exception. Welcome back to the human exception. Good hello, friends. Good hello. <laughs> good good and tog. All right. So um, it's summer, as we know. And summer gets busy, mm-hmm. and uh, Hallie decided she wants to move to a new state. I am crazy person. Yes. Yeah. So we decided to kind of uh, make some semi filler content where we would just kind of read you guys some stories. It's a little less oh effort for us to to uh, make for you guys, and that way we still give you content. So, if you have any ideas, Yay. definitely send them to us. Um, Hallie is going to be reading us My Immortal oh my um, later. We're going to record that. I'm going to do it. It's going to be great. Tipsy. It's going to be good. Yep. Um, I don't know I if mean, Nathan's found anything to read yet. Haven't found anything yet. And... Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure where to go with this one, like and how all of this works. So, uh, like, what we can find something do. public domain. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, kind of yeah. what I was figuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and you'll be good. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> so, um, tonight I am serving up Italian with creepy pastas. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'm funny. I'm not. That was uh, so bad, but yet it was right. That was terrible. That was um, terrible. I agree. Definitely yeah. gonna need the but um tiss in the background. <laughs> Who's got the um, soundboard? Hold on. I was saying like we should like. I was, I was thinking that we should like put like a crackling fire in the beginning of these episodes. Oh, you know, campfire what? stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. These are our campfire stories. So yeah, today I'm going to read you some crap, uh, crappy pastas, creepy pastas. I tried to keep the good creepy pastas, not the bad crappy pastas. Oh my um, god! <laughs> uh, so yeah, creepy pasta refers to a specific genre of stories that come from the internet. It's a name that's derivative of the term copy pasta, which is a word used to describe a block of text that has been repeatedly shared around the internet. The main difference being that creepy pastas are creepy. Um, we've talked about creepypastas briefly before when I covered Ted the Caver, which is considered one of the very first creepypastas. But Ted was just the tip of a very large and diverse iceberg. So Ted's story is a bit of an exception um, as a story originated on its own website. But a lot of creepypastas are shared through forums like Reddit and 4chan. Originally, these posts were written and depicted as real events that happened to the author or someone the author knew. These days, while some may still try and pass these stop- stories off as genuine, um, Audiences have become a lot more skeptical, and forums and wikis have sprung up all over to archive existing stories and collect user submissions. So, really, creepypastas are just the next evolution of the urban legend. Before people, everyone knows like the urban legends of the people who brought home a dog from Mexico and it was a rat, and <laughs> uh, the white woman on the side of the road, alligators in the sewer, like. Those used to just be oral or legends that we shared with people. Now it's all on the internet, so everyone can get in on it. Uh, creepypastas come in every flavor that you can think of, from aliens to unusual neighbors to ghosts. The core theme of any creepypasta is that it should be unsettling and should be told as if there were something that could actually happen. They can also come in any length. Um, so I've got a couple uh, real short ones from Reddit. 
Um, just another muffled VO says, I begin tucking him into bed and he tells me, Daddy, check for monsters under my bed. I look underneath for his amusement and see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering, Daddy, there's somebody on my bed. I'm going to immediately just go, nope. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. I love mm -hmm. that. Oh, there's some real good couple line ones. <laughs> um, Gustalos has says, there was a picture in my phone of me sleeping. I live alone. Which would be terrifying. <laughs> and then comparatively sane has this one. You hear your mom calling you into the kitchen, and as you're heading down the stairs, you hear a whisper from the closet saying, Don't go down there, honey. I heard it, too. So that's kind of an example of creepypastas, as well as we see other short ones. Um, I've got a couple that I'm going to share with you. Um, as these are creepypastas, these will be spooky, and they will be dealing with things that... Make people uncomfortable. There'll be mentions of suicides and murder and all that kind of stuff. So, content warning, y'all. And time to get comfy. So, the first one I'm going to tell you about is uh, Lavender Town Syndrome. So, it's also known as the Lavender Town Tone or Lavender Town Suicides. It was a peak in suicides and illness of children between the ages of 7 to 12, shortly after the release of Pokemon Red and Green in Japan, back in February 27, 1996. Rumors say that these suicides and illnesses only occurred after the children playing the game reached Lavender Town, whose theme music had extremely high frequencies that studies showed that only children and young teens can hear, since their ears are more sensitive. Due to the Lavender Tone, at least 200 children supposedly committed suicide and many more developed illnesses and afflictions. The children who committed suicide usually did so by hanging or jumping from heights. Those who did not act irrationally complained of severe headaches after listening to the Lavender Town's theme. Although Lavender Town now sounds different depending on the game, the mass hysteria was caused by the first Pokemon game release. After the Lavender Tone incidents, the programmers had fixed Lavender Town's theme music to be a lower frequency, and since the children have no longer been affected by it. It is said that the beta version of Pokemon was released to some kids to test these games, and these are the kids that were affected. And here is a video of the beta version of Lavender Town that has the supposed suicidal tone. Whoops, I'm in the wrong channel. That is not what it sounds like. <laughs> Let me know once you guys listen to it. This is weirdly familiar, I feel like. I wouldn't be surprised if you've come across this. This is a pretty popular uh, creepypasta that's been shared with around the years. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but Instantly, like, sets my hair on end. Because it's just... Creepy. Mm -hmm. It's discordant. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, even, not even music. It's just like... I'm not into that. That's... <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah this is kind of a classic creepypasta um talking about an event like it actually happened there was absolutely no evidence behind this obviously um but it is an, a story that hasn't shared over the decades now um that still gets shared around today um and obviously the video the beta version was uh someone made that and made up the song all right, so the next one we're going to talk about is Polybius. It's an urban legend about a rare arcade game released in 1981. The game was created by a mysterious company called Sinnelschalen, which is German for sense deletion, and was a puzzle shoot 'em up somewhat like Tempest. It was only released 
and a few suburbs in Portland and Oregon. It was supposedly very popular, with people forming long lines to play. However, players reported strange things about the game, such as hearing a woman crying and seeing grotesque faces out of the corner of their eyes. Players would also have nightmares, experience nausea, headaches, blackouts, or even develop amnesia. Some, even, were driven to suicide. Others stopped playing video games altogether, and at least one became an anti-video game activist. According to one owner of an arcade, men wearing black suits would often come to collect records from the game. Never any money, just the records. Because of this, the leading theory is that it was some sort of government experiment using subliminal messages. The game remains in obscurity as around one month after it was released, all the cabinets suddenly disappeared. One cabinet reappeared in an arcade in 1998, but would quickly disappeared again. While some have tried to recreate the game, no one has ever found the original ROM. And we have pictures of this cabinet. Um, I so feel like in Arcade Spirits, they were playing on this urban legend a lot. It's a visual novel where supposedly you get like sucked into the arcade game. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, it's... oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a very popular urban legend. Um, you'll see here even that it was referenced on The Simpsons. Hell yeah. Um, so the game can be found for available, downloaded on the Sinelshelm website. So there is a website that is named this, and you can download a video game, apparently. I didn't download it or anything. I have no idea what the game is like at all. <laughs> but I will include a link on the page if you guys are interested in checking it out. Download so, at your own risk. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, for the mental health effects, or also could just be a virus. I don't know. Or it could be, yeah, could be the Trojaniest Trojan to ever Trojan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next story I'm going to tell you about is about Anora Petrova. Um. So this is written as an email to someone named Bree. So, um. Bree, don't delete this. I know you hate me, but we were best friends once, and I need you to read this. I think I'm in serious trouble, and there's nothing you can do, but I need you to read this so you understand. I know we haven't talked since, section since sectionals. It's been forever, but what happened to you wasn't my fault. At least it wasn't entirely my fault. I know everyone thinks it was, but I would never do anything to hurt you. This is going to sound crazy, but I need you. I need to tell you this so that someone knows. It started when we were in 8th grade. It was the night before the Crystal Classic competition. I was at home and I couldn't sleep because I was so nervous about competing. Well, I got on the computer and just sort of surfing the web and stuff, but I couldn't concentrate on anything and I was just sitting there. So I googled myself. I never should have done that, Brie. At first, it was all the usual stuff you find when, Google, when you Google yourself. Then I found a link to a Wikipedia page about me. I thought our club or my dad had made it or something. There really wasn't much there. Just some basic facts about skating in the city I lived in. The thing that got me is that it said that I won this year's Crystal Classic. I laughed. I thought for sure someone was just trying to encourage me. I even confronted my dad about it, but he denied it. When I won the competition the next day, I was so happy. That was the first competition I'd ever won, and it felt so good. Remember how hard I worked after that? That's when my parents hired Sergei to teach me. You know how much that must have cost. After that, I would check my own page before every competition, and it would always tell the result of how I placed. It said I would win regionals of 15, and it all came true. After that, Sergei convinced my mom and dad that I had a real shot at the Olympics. And that's when they pulled me from school. I skated every day, but I just wasn't progressing the way that Sergei said I needed to if I wanted a shot at championship. I was working so hard, and I was skating well, but still, Sergei said it wasn't good enough. When the sectionals came, all they could think about was winning, so I did something I shouldn't have. Everyone was saying that you were the favorite, and I felt like I'd already lost the competition. So I made a Wikipedia account and tried to update my page to say that I was the winner. The thing is that after I tried to update the page, I checked it, and all it said was, Anora Petrova is a selfish little bitch who's going to get what she deserves. I 
broke down. That's why I looked so awful the next day. I was in a daze. I remember watching your routine and seeing your blade snap. And the next thing I know, I was on the ground and my face was covered in blood from the tip that flew off and sliced my forehead. Then they told me that it was my fault because I had your skates in my possession earlier. Bria, honestly, I didn't do anything to your skates. I wanted to win, but I wouldn't have done anything to hurt you. When they told me I was banned from any further competitions, everyone said that I got what I deserved. Nobody even asked me for my side of the story. I guess you heard that Sergei dropped me after that. He said I ruined him. No one would talk to me. But you know what it's like to be ostracized by everyone? I couldn't even get ice time, and then the page got worse. Anytime I checked it, it would just say all these horrible things about me. And I can't even tell you half of them. The language was just so vile. I cry every time I read it, but I couldn't stop checking. I knew I had to do something, so I, I made a complaint to Wikipedia. I even tried to call them, but no one there claimed to know any knowledge about the page. I was home alone that Friday night, and I decided to check it to see if it had been taken down, and the page was still there. Only this time it said, Anora Petrova is a pathetic little orphan. I freaked. I kept calling my parents to warn them. But every time I call, all I would hear was this horrible laughter on the other end. I must have called them a hundred times until I couldn't take the sound of the laughing anymore. After the accident, the police gave me their phones, and there wasn't any record of my calls from that night. I was devastated. Before that, I was busy training all day and doing homeschool. I never realized how alone I had been the whole time. I, I know that you tried to reach out, but I was so depressed and angry that I just shut everything out. Once I turned 18 and got the settlement money from court, I came to Switzerland. I got to reinvent myself. My skating really took off, and it hasn't been even a year, and I feel like everything happened so long ago. That's why I shouldn't have done it, Bree. I'm writing you now from an old hotel outside Prague. I'm auditioning for the ice circus tomorrow. I know it's the kind of thing that we used to make fun of, but I really want this. I was feeling really nervous, and out of an old habit, I checked my page. It's hard to say this, but when I checked my page to see if I'd get the job tomorrow, all it said was, Honora Petrova died, friendless and alone. It has today's date listed as my date of death. I'm sobbing so hard I could barely type this. But I want you to know the truth. Please, believe me, Bree. I attached a screenshot of the page so you'll believe me. It's all there, just as I told you. I don't know what to do. I don't know anyone here, and nobody speaks English. And I just keep refreshing the page. God, it's been forever. I keep refreshing, but it still hasn't changed. I'm waiting for midnight. I don't know what to do, so I lock myself in my room. It's only a few minutes to midnight now. All I can do is refresh this page. I'm exhausted, but I can't stop. I'm afraid to leave the computer until I know what happens next. And here is the screenshot that supposedly associated the email. This one, I, rem I remember this one. Yeah. 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 And obviously, in Nora Petrova, there's no actual Wikipedia page for it, but... That's a good spooky one. Mm -hmm. Ew. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I've got one more. It's a bit of a longer one that I'm going to read that we'll finish off with. Sunday. I'm not sure why I'm writing this down on paper and not on my computer. I guess I've just noticed some odd things lately. It's not that I don't trust the computer, I just need to organize my thoughts. I need to get down all the details somewhere objective, somewhere I know that what I write can't be deleted or changed. Not that that's happened, it's just everything blurs together here and the fog of memory lends a strange cast to things. I'm starting to feel cramped up in my small apartment. Maybe that's the problem. I just had to go and choose the cheapest apartment, the only one in the basement. The lack of windows down here makes day and night seem to slip by seamlessly. I haven't been out in a few days because I've been working on this programming project so intensely. Suppose I just wanted to get it done. Hours of sitting and staring at a monitor can make anyone feel strange. I know, but I, I don't think that's it. I'm not sure when I first started to feel like something was odd. I can't even define what it is. Maybe I just haven't talked to anyone in a while. And that's the first thing that crept up on me. Everyone I normally talk to online while I program has been idle, or they've seemed to log not log on at all. 
my instant messages go unanswered. And the last email I got from anybody was a friend saying he talked to me when I got back from when he got back from the store, and that was yesterday. I call with my cell phone, but the reception's terrible down here. Yeah, that's it. I just need to call someone. I'm going to go outside. Well, that didn't work so well. As the tingle of fear fades, I'm feeling a little ridiculous for being scared at all. I looked in the mirror before I went out, but I didn't shave the two-day stubble I'd grown. I figured I was just going to go out for a quick phone call. I did change my shirt, though, because it was lunchtime, and I guess that I'd probably at least run into one person I knew. But that didn't ha end up happening. I wish it did. When I went out, I opened the door to my small apartment slowly. A small feeling of apprehension had somehow already lodged itself in me for some indefinable reason. I chalked it up to having not spoken to anyone but myself for a day or two. I peered down the dingy gray hallway, made dinger by the fact that it was a basement hallway. On one end, a large metal door led to the building's furnace room. It was locked, of course. Two dreary soda machines stood by it. I bought a soda from one the first day I moved in, but it had a two-year-old expiration date. I'm sure nobody knows the machines are even down here, or my chief landlady just doesn't care to get them restocked. I closed my door softly and walked the other direction, taking care not to make a sound. I have no idea why I chose to do that, but it was fun giving into the strange impulse to not break the droning hum of the soda machines, at least for a moment. I got to the stairwell and took the stairs up to the building's front door. I looked through the heavy door's small square window and received quite the shock. It was definitely not lunchtime. City gloom hung over the dark street outside, the traffic lights at the intersection in the distance blinked yellow. Dim clouds, purple and black, from the glow of the city hung overhead. Nothing moved, save for the few sidewalk trees that shifted in the wind. I remember shivering, though I wasn't cold. Maybe it was just the wind outside. I could vaguely hear it through the heavy metal door, and I knew it was that unique kind of late-night wind, the kind that was constant, cold, and quiet, save for the rhythmic music it made as it passed through countless unseen tree leaves. I decided not to go outside. Instead, I lifted my cell phone to the, the door's little window and checked the signal meter. The bars filled up the meter, and I smiled. Time to hear someone else's voice, I remember thinking, relieved. It was such a strange thing to be afraid of nothing. I shook my head, laughing silently at myself. I hit speed dial for my best friend, Amy, and held the phone up to my ear. It rang once, but then it stopped. Nothing happened. I listened to silence for a good 20 seconds and then hung up. I frowned and looked at the signal meter again. Still full. I went to dial her number again, but then my phone rang in my hand, startling me. I put it to my ear. Hello? I asked, immediately fighting down a small shock at hearing the first spoken words that I've said in days. I had gotten used to the droning hum of the building's inner workings, my computer and the soda machines in the hallway. There was no response to my greeting at first, but then finally a voice came. Hey, said a clear male voice, obviously a college age, like me. Who's this? John, I replied, confused. Oh, sorry, wrong number, he replied and then hung up. I lowered the phone slowly and leaned against the thick brick wall of the stairwell. That was strange. I looked at my received call list, but the number was unfamiliar. Before I could think on it further, the phone rang loudly, shocking yet again. This time I looked at the caller before I answered it, and it was another unfamiliar number. This time I held the phone up to my ear, but I said nothing. I heard nothing but the general background noise of a phone. Then a familiar voice broke the tension. John was the single word in Amy's voice. I breathed a sigh of relief. Hey, it's you, I replied. Who else would it be? She responded. Oh, the number. I'm at a party on 7th Street and my phone died just when you called me. This is someone else's phone, obviously. Oh, okay, I said. Where are you? she asked. My eyes glanced over the drab whitewashed cylinder block walls and the heavy metal door with its small window. At my building, I sighed. Just feeling cooped up, I didn't realize it was so late. You should come here, she said, laughing. Nah, I don't feel like looking for some strange place by myself in the middle of the night, I said, looking out the window at the silent windy streets secretly scared me just a tiny bit. I think I'm just going to keep working or go to bed. Nonsense, she replied. I can come get you. Your building is close to 7th Street, right? How drunk are you? I asked lightheartedly. You know where I live. Oh, of course, she said abruptly. 
I guess I can't get there by walking, huh? You could if you wanted to waste half an hour, I told her. Right, she said. Okay, I have to go. Good luck with your work. I lowered the phone once more, looking at the numbers flash as the call ended. Then the droning silence suddenly reasserted itself in my ears. The two strange calls in the eerie street outside just drove home my aloneness in this empty stairwell. Perhaps from having seen too many scary movies, I had this sudden inexplicable idea that something could look in the door's window and see me. Some sort of horrible entity that hovered at the edge of the aloneness, just waiting to creep up on unsuspecting people that strayed too far from other human beings. I knew the fear was irrational, but nobody else was around, so I jumped down the stairs, ran down the hallway, into my room, and closed the door as swiftly as I could, while still trying to stay silent. Like I said, I feel a little ridiculous for being scared of nothing, and the fear has already faded. Writing this down helps a lot. It makes me realize that nothing is wrong. It filters out half-formed thoughts and fears and leaves only cold, hard facts. It's late. I got a call from a wrong number, and Amy's phone died, so she called me back from another number. Nothing strange is happening. Still, there was something a little off about the conversation. I know it could have just been the alcohol she had, or was it even her that seemed off to me? Or was it, yes, that was it. I didn't realize that until this moment, writing these things down, I knew writing things down would help. She said she was at a party, but I only heard silence in the background. Of course, that doesn't mean anything in particular, as she could have just gone outside to make the call. No, no, that couldn't be it either. I didn't hear the wind. I need to see if the wind is still blowing. Monday. I forgot to finish writing last night. I'm not sure what I expected to see when I ran up the stairwell and looked out the heavy metal door's window. I'm feeling ridiculous. Last night's fear seems hazy and unreasonable to me now. I can't wait to go out into the sunlight. I'm going to check my email, shave, shower, and finally get out of here. Wait, I think I heard something. It was thunder. The whole sunlight and fresh air thing didn't happen. I went out into the stairwell and the stairs only to find disappointment. The heavy metal door's little window showed only flowing water as torrential rain slammed against it. Only a very dim, gloomy lit light filtered in through the rain. But at least I knew it was daytime, even if it was gray, sickly wet day. I tried looking out the window and waiting for lightning to illuminate the gloom, but the rain was so heavy and I couldn't make out anything more than vague, weird shapes moving at odd angles in the waves washing down the window. Disappointed, I turned around, but I didn't want to go back to my room. Instead, I wandered further up the stairs, past the first floor and the second. The stairs ended on the third floor, the highest floor in the building. I looked through the glass that ran up the outer wall of the stairwell, but it was that warped, thick kind that scatters light, not that there was really anything to see through the rain to begin with. I opened the stairwell door and wandered down the hallway. The ten or so thick wooden doors painted blue a long time ago were all closed. I listened as I walked, but it was the middle of the day, so I wasn't surprised that I heard nothing but the rain outside. As I stood there in the dim hallway, listening to the rain, I had a strange fleeting impression that the doors were standing like silent granite monoliths erected by some ancient forgotten civilization for some unfathomable guardian purpose. Lightning flashed, and I could have sworn that for just a moment the old grainy blue wood looked just like rough stone. I laughed at myself for letting my imagination get the best of me, but then it occurred to me that the dim gloom and the lightning must, have, must mean that there's a window somewhere nearby in the hallway. A vague memory surfaced, and I suddenly recalled that the third floor had an alcove with an inset window halfway down the floor's hallway. Excited to look out into the rain and possibly see another human being, I quickly walked over to the alcove, finding the large, thin glass window. Rain washed down it, and as with the front door's window, but I could, I could open this one. I reached my hand out to slide it open, but hesitated. I had the strangest feeling that if I opened that window, I would see something absolutely horrifying on the other side. Everything's been so odd lately, so I came up with a plan. I came back here to get what I needed, and I don't seriously think anything will come from it, but I'm bored, it's raining, and I'm going stir-crazy. I came back to get my webcam. The, car, the cord isn't long enough to reach the third floor by any means, so instead I'm going to hide it between the two soda machines in the dark end of the basement hallway, run the wire along the road under, uh, along the wall under the door, under my door, and put black tape over it and the wire to blend it into the black plastic strip that runs along the base of the hallway's walls. I know this is silly, but I don't have anything better to do. Well, nothing happened. I propped up in the hallway to stairwell doors 
steeled myself and then flung the heavy door front door open and ran like hell down the stairs to my room and slammed the door. I watched the webcam on my computer intently, seeing the hallway outside my door and most of the stairwell. I'm watching it right now and I don't see anything interesting. I just wish the camera's position was different so that I could see the front door. Hey, somebody's online. I got it on an older, less functional webcam that I had in my closet to the video chat with my friend online. I couldn't really explain to him why I wanted a video chat, but it felt good to see another person's face. He couldn't talk very long, and we didn't talk about anything meaningful, meaningful but I feel much better. My strange fear was, was almost past. I would feel completely better, but there was something odd about our conversation. I know that I've said that everything has seemed odd lately, but still, he was very vague in his responses. I can't recall one specific thing that he said, no particular name or place or event, but he did ask for my email address to keep in touch. Wait, I just got an email. I'm about to go out and I just got an email from Amy that asked me to meet her for dinner at the place that we usually go. I do love pizza and I've just been eating random food from my poorly stocked fridge for days, so I can't wait. Again, I feel ridiculous about the odd couple days I've been having. I, sh I should destroy this journal when I get back. Oh, another email. Oh my god. I almost left the email and opened the door. I almost opened the door. I almost opened the door. But I read the email first. It was from a friend I hadn't heard from in a long time. And it was sent to a huge number of emails that must have been every person he had saved in his address list. It had no subject and it simply said, Seen with your own eyes, don't trust them, they. What the hell is that supposed to mean? The words shook me, and I keep going over them again and again. Is it a desperate email sent just as something happened? The words are obviously cut off without finishing. On any other day, I would just, just dismiss, it, dismiss it as spam from a computer virus or something, but the words, seen with your own eyes. I can't help but read over this journal and think back in the last few days and realize that I've not seen another person with my own eyes or talked to another person face to face. The webcam conversation with my friend was so strange, so vague, so eerie. And now that I think about it, was it eerie? Or is fear clouding my memory? My mind toys with the progression of events that I've written here, pointing out that I have not been presented with one single fact that I did not specifically give out unsuspectingly. The random wrong number that got my name, and the subsequent strange return of the call from Amy, the friend that asked for my email address, I messaged him first when I saw him online. And then I got my first email a few minutes after that conversation. Oh my god, the phone call with Amy. I said over the phone, I said that I was within half an hour's walk of 7th Street. They know I'm near there. What if they're trying to find me? Where is everyone else? Why haven't I seen anyone else in days? No, no, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. I need to calm down. This madness needs to end. I don't know what to think. I ran about my apartment furiously, holding my cell phone up to every corner to see if I got signal through the heavy walls. Finally, in the tiny bathroom near one ceiling corner, I got a single bar. Holding my phone there, I sent a text message to every number in my list, not wanting to betray anything about my unfounded fears. I simply sent, You seen anyone face to face lately? At that point, I just wanted any reply back. I didn't care what the reply was, or if I embarrassed myself. I tried to call someone a few times, but I couldn't get my head high enough, and if I brought my cell phone down even an inch, I lost signal. Then I remembered the computer, and I rushed over to it, instant messaging anyone, everyone that was online. Most were idle or away, away from their computers. Nobody responded. My messages grew more frantic, and I started telling people where I was and to stop by in person for a host of barely plausible reasons. I didn't care about anything about by that point. I just needed to see another person. I also tore my apartment apart, looking for something that I might have missed, some way to contact another human being without opening the door. I know it's crazy. I know it's unfounded, but like, what if? What if? I just need to be sure. I taped the phone to the ceiling in case. Tuesday. The phone rang. Exhausted from last night's rampage, I must have fallen asleep. I woke up the phone ringing and ran into the bathroom and stood on the toilet and flipped open the phone taped to the ceiling. It was Amy, and I feel so much better. She was really worried about me and apparently had been trying to contact me since the last time we talked. She's coming over now, and yes, she knows where I am without me telling her. I feel so embarrassed. I'm definitely throwing the journal away before anyone sees it. 
I don't even know why I'm writing in, in it now. Maybe it's just because it's the only way, only communication I've had at all since God knows when. I look like hell too. I looked in the mirror before I came back in here. My eyes are sunk are sunk in my stubble is thicker, and I just look generally unhealthy. The apartment is trash, but I'm not going to clean it up. I think I need someone else to see what I've been through these past few days and that have not been normal. I am not one to imagine things. I know why I have been the victim of extreme probability. I probably miss seeing another person a dozen times. I just happened to go out when it was late at night or in the middle of the day when everyone was gone. Everything's perfectly fine. I know this now. Plus, I find something in I found something in the closet last night that helped me tremendously. A television. I set it up just before I wrote this, and it's on the and it's on in the background. Television has always been a good escape for me, and it reminds me that there's a world beyond these dingy brick walls. I'm glad that Amy's the only one that responded to me after last night's frantic pestering at everyone. She's been my best friend for years. She doesn't know it, but I count the day that I met her among one of the few moments of true happiness in my life. I remember that warm summer day fondly. It seems like a different reality from the dark, rainy, lonely place that I am now. I feel like I spent days sitting in that playground, much too old to play, just talking with her and hanging out around doing nothing. I still feel like I can go back to that moment sometimes, and it reminds me that this damn place is not all there is. Finally, a knock at the door. I thought it was odd that I couldn't see her through the camera that I hid between the two soda machines. I figured that it was bad positioning, like when I couldn't see out the front door. I should have known. I should have known. After the knock, I yelled to the door jokingly that I had a camera between the soda machines because I was embarrassed that I had taken my paranoia that far. After I did that, I saw her image walk over to the camera and look down at it, and she smiled and waved. Hey, she said to the camera brightly, giving it a wry look. It's weird, I know, I said into the mic attached to my computer. I've had a few weird days. Must have, she replied. Open the door, John. I hesitated. How could I be sure? Hey, humor me a second here, I told her through the mic. Tell me one thing about us, just to prove to me that you're you. She gave the camera a weird look. Um, alright, she said slowly, thinking. We met randomly in a playground when we were both way too old to be there? I sighed deeply as reality returned and fear faded. God, it had been so ridiculous. Of course it was Amy. The day wasn't anywhere in the world except in my memory. I'd never even mentioned it to anyone, not out of embarrassment, but out of a strange secret nostalgia and longing for those days to return. If there was some unknown force at work trying to trick me here as I feared, there was no way that they could know about that day. <laughs> Alright, I'll explain everything, I told her. Be right there. I ran to the small bathroom and fixed my hair as best I could. I looked like hell, but she would understand. Snickering at my own unbelievable behavior and the mess that I'd made of the place, I walked to the door. I put my hand on the doorknob and gave the mess one last look. So ridiculous. I thought. My eyes traced over the half-eaten food lying on the ground and the overflowing trash bin and the bed that I tipped to the side looking for god knows what. I almost turned to the door to open it, but my eyes fell on one last thing. That old webcam, the one that I used for the eerily vacant chat with my friend. Its silent black sphere lay haphazardly tossed to the side, its lens pointing at the table where this journal lay. An overwhelming terror took me as I realized that if something could see through that camera, it would have seen what I had written about that day. I asked her for any one thing about us, and she chose the only thing in the world that I thought that they wouldn't know about, but it, it did. It did know. It could have been watching me the whole time. I didn't open the door. I screamed. I screamed in uncontrollable terror. I stomped on the old webcam on the floor. The door shook and the doorknob tried to turn, but I didn't hear Amy's voice at the door. Was the basement door made to keep out drafts too thick? Or was Amy not outside? What could have been trying to get in if not her? What the hell is out there? I saw her on my computer through the camera outside. I heard her on the speakers through the camera outside. But was it real? How can I know? She's gone now. I screamed and I shouted for help. I piled up everything in my apartment against the front door. Friday. At least I think it's Friday. I broke everything electronic. I smashed my computer to pieces. Every single thing in here that could be accessed by network access. Or worse, altered. I'm a programmer. I know every little piece of information I gave out since this started. My name, my email, my location. None of it came from outside until I gave it out. 
I've been going over and over what I wrote. I've been pacing back and forth and alternating between stark terror and overpowering disbelief. Sometimes I'm absolutely certain some phantom entity is dead set on the simple goal of getting me to go outside. Back to the beginning with the phone call from Amy, she was effectively asking me to open the door and go outside. I keep running through it in my head. One point of view says I'm acting like a madman, and all of this is extreme convergence of probability. Never going outside at the right times during pure luck. Never seeing any person by pure chance. Getting a random nonsense email from some computer virus at just the right time. The other point of view says that the extreme convergence of probability is the reason that whatever's out there hasn't gotten me already. I keep thinking, I never opened the window on the third floor. I never opened the front door. Until that incredibly stupid stunt with the hidden camera, after which I ran straight into my room and slammed the door. I haven't opened my own solid door since I flung open the front door of the building. What whatever's out there, if there is anything out there, never made an appearance in the building before I opened the door. Maybe the reason it wasn't in the building already was that it was elsewhere getting everyone else. And then it waited until I betrayed my existence by trying to call Amy. A call which didn't work until it called me and asked me for my name. Terror literally overwhelms me every time I try to fit the pieces of this nightmare together. That email, short, cut off, was it from someone trying to get word out? Some friendly voice desperate to try and warn me before it came? Seeing with my own eyes, don't trust them. Exactly what I've been suspicious of. It would have been masterful control of all things electronic, practicing its insidious deception to trick me into coming outside. Why can't it get in? It knocked on the door. It must have some solid presence. The door. The image of those doors in the upper hallway as guardian monoliths flashes back in my mind. And every time I trace this path of thoughts, if there is some phantom entity trying to get to me to go outside, maybe it can't go through doors. I keep thinking back all over the books that I've read or the movies that I've seen, trying to generate some explanation for this. Doors have always been such an intense foci of human imagination, always seen as wards or portals of special importance. Or perhaps the door is just too thick. I know that I couldn't bash through any of the doors in the building, let alone the heavy basement ones. Aside from that, the real question is, why does it even want me? If it just wanted to kill me, it could just do that in a number of ways, including just waiting until I starve to death. What if it doesn't want to kill me? What if it has some far more horrific fate in store for me? God, what can I do to escape this nightmare? A knock on the door. I told the people on the other side of the door that I needed a minute to think and I'll come out. I'm really just writing this down so I can figure out what to do. At least this time I heard their voices. My paranoia, and yes, I recognize I'm being paranoid, has me thinking of all sorts of ways that their voices could be faked electronically. There could be nothing outside but speakers, simulating human voices. Did it really take them three days to come talk to me? Amy is supposedly out there, along with two policemen and a psychiatrist. Maybe it took them three days to think of what to do with me. The psychiatrist's claim could be pretty convincing. If I decided to think that this was all been some crazy misunderstanding and not some entity trying to trick me into opening the door. The psychiatrist had an older voice, authoritarian but caring. I liked it. I'm desperate just to see someone with my own eyes. He said I have something called cyberpsychosis, and I'm just one of a, national, a nationwide epidemic of thousands of people having breakdowns triggered by a suggestive email that got through somehow. I swear he said got through somehow. I think he means spread through the country inexplicably, but I'm incredibly suspicious that the entity slipped up and revealed something. He said I'm part of a wave of emergent behavior, that a lot of other people are having the same problem with the same fears, even though we've never communicated. That neatly explains the strange email about the eyes that I got. I didn't get the original triggering email, I got a descendant of it. My friend could have been broken down too and tried to warn everyone he knew against his paranoid fears. That's how the problem spreads, the psychiatrist claims. I could have spread it too, with my texts and instant messages online to everyone I know. One of those people might be melting down right now, after being triggered by something I sent them. Something that they may have interpreted any way that they wanted. Something like a text saying, have you seen anyone face to face lately? The psychiatrist told me that he didn't want to lose another one. That people like me are intelligent and that's our downfall. We draw connections so well that we draw them even when we, when we shouldn't be there. He said it's easy to get caught up in the paranoia in our fast-paced world, a constantly changing place where more and more of our interaction is stimulated. I have to give him one thing, it's a, it's a great explanation. It neatly explains everything. It perfectly explains absolutely everything, in fact. 
I have every reason to shake off this nightmarish fear that something or consciousness or being out there wants me to open the door so it can capture me for some horrible fate worse than death. It would be foolish. After hearing the explanations and staying here until I starve to death just despite the entity that might have gotten everyone else, it would be foolish to think that after hearing that explanation that I might be one of the last people alive in an empty world hiding in my secure basement room, fighting some unthinkable deceptive entity just by refusing to be captured. It's a perfect explanation for every single strange thing that I've seen or heard, and I have every reason in the world to let all my fears go and open the door. That's exactly why I'm not going to do it. How can I be sure? How can I know what's real and what's a deception? All of these damn things and their wires and their signals and they originate from some unseen origin. They're not real. I can't be sure. Signals through a camera, fake video, deceptive phone calls, emails, even the television lying broken on the floor. How can I possibly know what's real? It's just signals, waves, light. The door. It's bashing on the door. It's trying to get in. What insane mechanical contrivance could be used to stimulate the sound of men attacking the heavy wood so well? At least I'll finally see it with my own eyes. There's nothing left in here for it to deceive me with. I've ripped apart everything else. It can't deceive my eyes, can it? Seen with your own eyes. Don't trust the. Don't trust them. They. Wait. Was that desperate message telling, message telling me to trust my eyes, or warning me about my eyes too? Oh my God. What's the difference between a camera and my eyes? They both turn light into electric signals. They're the same. I can't be deceived. I have to be sure. I have to be sure. Date unknown. I calmly asked for a paper and pen, day in and day out, until it finally gave it to me. Not that it matters. What am I going to do? Poke my eyes out? The bandages feel like part of me now. The pain is gone. I figure this will be one of my last chances to write legibly. As without my sight to correct mistakes, my hands will slowly forget the emotions involved. This is a sort of a self-indulgent this writing. It's a relic of another time because I'm certain everyone left in the world is dead or something far worse. I sit against the padded wall day in and day out. The entity brings me food and water and it masks itself as a kind nurse, as an unsympathetic doctor. I think it knows that my hearing has sharpened considerably now that I live in darkness. It fakes conversations in the hallway on the off chance that I might overhear it. One of the nurses talks about having a baby soon. One of the doctors lost his wife in a car accident. None of it matters. None of it's real. None of it gets to me. Not like she does. That's the worst part. The part that I almost can't handle. The thing comes to me masquerading as Amy. Its recreation is perfect. It almost sounds exactly like Amy. Feels exactly like her. It even produces a reasonable facsimile of tears that makes it feel like they're so real in her cheeks. When it first dragged me here, it told me all the things that I wanted to hear. It told me that she loved me, that she'd always love me, that it, it didn't understand why I did this, that we could still have a life together if only I would stop insisting that I was being deceived. It wanted me to believe. No. It needed me to believe that she was real. And I, I almost fell for it. I really did. I doubted myself for the longest time. In the end, though, it was all too perfect, too flawless, and too real. The false Amy used to come every day, and then every week, and then finally stopped coming altogether. But I don't think the entity will give up. I think the waiting game is just another one of its gambits. I resist it for the rest of my life if I have to. I don't know what happened to the rest of the world, but I do know that this thing needs me to fall for its deceptions. If it needs that, then maybe just maybe I'm a thorn in its agenda. Maybe Amy is still alive out there somewhere kept alive only by my will to resist the deceiver. I hold on to that hope, rocking back and forth in my cell to pass time. I will never give in. I will never break. I am a hero. The doctor read the paper the patient had scribbled on. It was barely readable, written in shaky script of one who could not see. He wanted to smile at the man's steadfast resolve, a reminder of the human will to survive, but he knew the patient was completely delusional. After all, a sane man would have fallen for the deceptions long ago. The doctor wanted to smile. He wanted to whisper words of encouragement to the delusional man. He wanted to scream, but the nerve filaments wrapped around his head and into his eyes made him do otherwise. His body walked into the cell like a puppet and told the patient once more that he was wrong, that there was nobody trying to deceive him.
And that's Psychosis by Matt Dismerky. No! (laughs) (laughs) I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I figured it was the perfect creepy story for the pandemic. Moving on, none of us have left our houses. It's a little too close to home, but okay. (laughs) Nothing is real. It's all simulation. It's all just electrical signals. <laughs> yeah. I gave you a creepy pasta. Yes, you did. You I get. don't like it. Yep. I didn't like it so much I had to cough. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the last one was written by Matt Demersky. Um, and he's actually um, written a collection of short scary stories now that are available on Amazon. I will include the link. Nice. That name sounds really familiar. I feel like I've read some of his stuff. It before. does, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've never read this one before. Um, I kind of came across it the other day and completely got sucked in. I was like, "Oh, this is actually really good." And then I saw it's like, "Oh, he's an actual writer now, so that's cool." Nice. Yeah. Creepy pastas. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Next week is a surprise. We have a very special interview scheduled for tomorrow, but I don't want to give too much away before we have that in the bag. So hang tight. Also, let us know. Did you enjoy this content? Do you want us to do more stuff like this? Do you have stories that you'd like us to share with you all? Uh, We'd love to hear your feedback. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all exceptional things, be sure to follow us on Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception. Have a story that you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And if you want to get in on the fun, come join us on our Discord. The server link is on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm